question and then I'll pause a little bit because I do want I do hope that you guys take that moment to really do a self-check-in and and take a moment and think how you are doing and if you're doing well I'm glad I'm that's great if you are going through a challenging time at this point I'm sending love and support your way It is Sunday evening when I'm recording and the sun has gone down for at least three hours at this point. We are on the other side of daylight savings. The days are getting shorter and will continue to get shorter until the first day of winter. I'm not sure if I'm not sure how many people know this, but the first day of winter is usually the shortest day of the year. So the day usually gets progressively shorter and shorter and shorter until the first day of winter, which is usually the shortest day of the year and known as winter solstice. And even though it can be pretty tough, what I kind of keep in mind to help me move past it is knowing that every day after the first day of winter, the days will start to get a little bit longer by a few seconds. And it may not feel like it's a lot, but over the course of the weeks and months beyond winter and, you know, going into the new year and approaching the spring months, the days get longer and for folks that work in offices you'll be able to end your day and still walk out and have it be daytime because I do remember that was one of the hardest parts for me working in an office during the winter time especially if I didn't get a chance to go outside that day the only sunlight I may have seen would have been on my walk into the office And if I didn't go out for lunch or go out for a walk, or maybe it was too cold and I didn't want to venture out, the next time I would see sunlight would be the next day because when I would leave to go home, it would already be dark. So, yeah, it's tough. One benefit, I guess... (laughs) if you want to call it that, is that especially when, especially with it being um, still very new for the season, it does feel, for me personally at least, it feels like there's a little bit more time in the day because, you know, with the summer months, it'll be daytime until like eight and then you're like, oh, the day is pretty much over. But now when it, when daytime falls, you know, and when it's dark, it's like five 
And, you know, if I still need time to do something in the day, I'm like, okay, there's still time in the day. So that's kind of (laughs) how things unfolded with recording the podcast this evening. I am home and I just woke up from a quick nap. I was having a little bit of a headache, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a quick nap and I'll wake up and I'll get started. And I woke up at about 7.30. I was like, okay, there's still time. The day is not completely over, even though it certainly looks like it. So, yeah. (sighs) I, over the past couple of years, feel like I have struggled a little bit with the changing of the seasons. I do know that I've had to work a little bit harder with staying motivated and kind of just pushing through because daylight is, you know, really important and it can really impact your mood. So, you know, as fall was approaching, I was aware, I was keeping it in mind, but it still can be difficult kind of pushing through that transition. So anyone kind of going through this right now, I am... In your corner, I can relate to a degree. I did a segment on seasonal depression on my last episode. So if you want to go back to that episode and take a quick listen, go right ahead. um, In case you want to learn just a little bit more information about what you could be experiencing when it comes to a clinical diagnosis. And um, if you ultimately decide to see someone to get some help. So how am I doing? I am starting to think about the year as it is winding down. Things start to rev up around this time of the year for my family and just things in my life. I have a lot of birthdays around this time in my family my wedding anniversary is fell on the same week of Thanksgiving this year. So next week is going to be particularly busy. My partner and I are going out of town for a few days to celebrate. And then we will be coming back the day before Thanksgiving, which will entail, you know, the busy nature of cooking that day and and people coming over um and then ultimately there are some other events going on at around that time and I'll be taking the week of Thanksgiving off from work which I'm looking forward to and um I will be going to Texas for a few weeks for the holiday season, Christmas going into New Year. So I'm looking forward to that too. So things are just getting pretty busy, not just for myself, but for my husband and, you know, my family and just people around me. So just trying to stay grounded, stay present, trying to be more aware of what I'm doing at any given moment and, you know, in any ways that I can improve 
or make this time of the year easier to handle. I definitely do think about that more. And, you know, I've just been, particularly this week, rather reflective on everything that I've gone through this year, you know, moving here in January and, you know, for the job that I ultimately left and, you know, starting a new job and just all the transitions and the stress that I underwent as a result, which manifested physically, unfortunately, but getting through it, getting through it. And I've just been thinking, like I said, particularly this week about just what I want to be different for next year and how I can start working towards that now. I don't want it to be that the clock strikes 12 on December 31st and, you know, it's January and then I'm planning. It is November 13th, the day that I'm recording this episode, which will go up in two days. And it is about seven weeks. We're about seven weeks out from the new year. And um, I'm just thinking about, you know, the things that the experiences I've had this year, the ones that I will look back on fondly, the ones that were more challenges and kind of deciding proactively, what do I want to put my energy towards in 2023? And what do I actively want to disconnect from in 2023? And how I can start now to lay the foundation, you know, what steps do I have to take? So that's where my mind has been ultimately. And I'm looking forward to my time away from New York next month for a few weeks to kind of have a little bit more personal space and be able to obtain a little bit more clarity. And um, yeah, I am optimistic. I am optimistic that hopefully next year I'll have a little bit more stability because I think that's one thing that I struggled with this year, just stability, Um, just kind of feeling settled. And I, I started this year thinking, you know, you're going through this and, you know, it'll take a few months, but... I don't know if I ever felt fully settled this year or fully stable, at least not in the way that I did. You know, when I lived in Connecticut, I was there for three plus years. And then, you know, with other places that I've lived. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I feel like I'm rambling. But um, this podcast Apart from it being a place where I talk about, you know, books and mental health, it, it's a little bit of an audio diary for me. And I do struggle sometimes with <laughs> what should I share? What should I not? What's TMI? So, yeah. Another development that I want to share on the podcast, I have officially let my subscribers know 
for the newsletter, but just in case there are subscribers of the newsletter who are listening who did not um, get my note that I sent out, I am suspending the newsletter for the foreseeable future. I'm not sure when I will restart it, but I put out the first edition in September and the second edition in October, and you know, I've been thinking about how I think I started the newsletter a little bit too prematurely. I was really excited about my podcast turning one and feeling like I need to kind of commemorate it in a way. And I like to feel like I'm progressing with things. So I was like, okay, I've been doing the podcast for a year. It's become a part of my life. You know, it's it's growing and you know it's time to add something it's time to expand or whatever and I thought oh okay newsletter is the next step and I've been thinking about it for a while and eventually decided okay I think this is what I want to do and honestly I really it was a stress point for me I was rather stressed about getting, once I decided I was going to do it, I was rather stressed about getting the September edition out because I really wanted it to be perfect in my mind since it was the first one. And then, you know, the October one I put out and I have gotten really great feedback. The people that have been so supportive in subscribing have said nothing but good things. But I just think... It is um, too much to handle right now with everything else on my plate, with my day job, and then with the podcast, and then um, just other things I'm doing. It was becoming a little bit too much for me, and you know, I started to feel feelings around the decision of discontinuing it. You know, feeling a little bit embarrassed, feeling a little bit, would I say ashamed? I don't think I was ashamed for discontinuing it, but I think I was definitely managing feelings of embarrassment because, you know, I had decided this and I had asked, you know, so many dear friends and family and acquaintances to support and they did so happily. And, you know, I put out two newsletters and then I stopped. But ultimately, I knew when I decided I was going to discontinue it, I felt good about it. I felt a little less stressed, I gotta be honest. Um, So I was like, you know what, not saying I won't ever restart it again, but this is just not a good time. It's not a good time. And I didn't feel like I had time in the month to really give it all I wanted to give it as the type of resource I wanted to put out for people who are, you know, expecting it and potentially, you know, reading it through because it is it is the type of newsletter. I didn't want it to just be links and announcements. Like I wanted to actually provide written content. And, you know, with that being well-intentioned, it was becoming a stress point. An old colleague who has now become a good friend of mine emailed me after I sent out the announcement and she was like, it was a great test run. And, you know, that helped me kind of reframe what I was thinking 
around the newsletter instead of thinking, you know, maybe it was a failure because I was stopping or, you know, being embarrassed because I was discontinuing it. I was like, this is a good reframe. You know, it was a test run. And I think about how a lot of times in entertainment or media, before they do a full commitment, like with, you know, a studio or a network, they might do a test run. If they have an idea for a TV show, but they're not quite sure how well it'll do, they'll order a few episodes and do a test run before they commit to a full season. So I was like, you know what? I'm thankful for you in this moment. And I'm thankful for the reframing that you've given me because just because I'm not continuing with this effort right now doesn't mean it was wasted effort. It doesn't mean anything negative, actually. It can just mean I was meant to try this temporarily, see how it would work out, and then decide from there. And I ultimately decided now was not the best time, but I had a good test run. So thank you, friend, for that, if you are listening. So I think from here, I'm going to transition into the main topic of the episode today, which is grief. And the book that I will be centering this conversation around is the book Notes on Grief by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, So Chimamanda is a very famous author of Nigerian slash Igbo origin. We are from the same tribe. I have been a fan of her work for a very long time. I remember... I read Americana when I was still living in Maryland and working in DC. And that book was, that book accompanied me on many metro rides to and from work as I was getting through it. And it was just so satisfying, that book. And I just love her writing. And I... I've just always been a fan. I've been a fan of hers. I actually saw her maybe uh, one to two months ago. It's definitely more than a month ago. Maybe maybe two months at this point. I saw her at a talk in Manhattan. And that's not the first time I've seen her. That's actually the second time I saw her a few years ago, too. And... I just, she's just one of those people who I'm just very much attracted to her energy and her personality. She's just such a deep thinker and she has a really great, great way of expressing, of expressing her thoughts. And she just has a very, I don't know, I just admire her perspective on the world and I'm always eager to read anything that she puts out and she's very proud of being a Nigerian woman an emo woman and she is very open about the you know battles she kind of deals with going back and forth with the pride of being from Nigeria and the frustrations that come with it too you know just as a country politically, environmentally, socially, all that stuff, which I can relate to as well. But particularly when it comes to this book, she talks about losing her father in the middle of COVID. And it's, it's a short book. It's, it's almost like a booklet. 
It's about 60 pages, hardcover. You could read it in a few hours. And it gave me a better idea of what grief can look like for a person going through it. And I think I also have some perspective from work. There are one or two patients right now that I am, in addition to managing their medication I am helping them through a grieving period. One patient who I just started recently seeing lost her son. And I have another couple of patients who are dealing with losing loved ones over the last year. And I think it was timely for me to read this book Um, Not only as a provider, but just as someone who needs the tools to be able to show up for people around me who may be struggling with this. Because I think there are a lot of things that we struggle with socially when it comes to certain topics. And I think grief is one of them. I think we don't really know what to do. We don't really know what to say when it comes to a person in our world who might be grieving a loss. And, you know, there are different types of grief. There's, you know, grieving a marriage. There's grieving an identity that used to be. But in this particular context, I'm talking about grieving someone who was in your life in the physical form and is no longer in this world. They have died. So... When it comes to me personally and how grief has showed up in my life, family members who have passed on in my family have been ones that have been close enough in in lineage, but not to the but not to the point where it has impacted my day-to-day life except for there are a few exceptions there but when i say that i'm i'm talking about like grandparents like both my grandfathers either died when i was young or before i was born my maternal grandfather died before i was born my paternal grandfather died when i was like 3 so i don't have many memories of them i don't have any memory of my maternal grandfather and of my paternal grandfather, I would I would venture to say none either. I do have pictures of him, but that's the extent to which it goes. My maternal grandmother is very much still alive and she has been in my life since I was born. So I know when that time comes that will be that will be a grieving process that will be new and tough because she is a presence that has been there since my earliest memories. My paternal grandmother passed away about six years ago when I was living in Maryland. That was hard too, but I think my relationship to her was not as close as the one to my maternal grandmother. So I did feel the impact, but I think it was more so other family members that felt it than me versus my maternal grandmother who when that time comes that will be very difficult because she has just had such 
an influence on she had a big role in raising me through childhood you know with my parents and that's just going to be a really hard time you know when that happens which it's inevitable but still it won't make it any easier there was a childhood friend of mine who died um maybe two years ago now she died she had sickle cell anemia as a kid growing up struggled with kidney failure had a transplant and I'm not quite sure ultimately what was the cause of her passing but I do remember seeing her brother post that she was gone on Instagram and I had lost it I lost it. I was still living in Connecticut and, you know, I was just in my room. I, I think it was a lighter time in the school year because it happened in July. I think it was July 3rd. I don't know if she passed July 3rd, but he posted it on July 3rd. And that was a couple of weeks from my birthday and I lost it. I started crying. I wasn't even sure. I don't know if my roommates were in the apartment that day. I don't think so because I was like boo-hooing in my room. And I feel like if I knew that they were there, I would have tried to contain it a little bit more. But I think I think they were not there. So I just let it all out. And then I called my mom. I was crying. Look at what happened. Look at who has died. Um, that was hard. It's still hard. I actually wrote a letter to her after she died. She wasn't, she was a childhood friend because my parents and her parents have been friends for a long time. So she was one of like those first friends because of, you know, um, parent friendships. And we weren't always in touch. I would say very rarely we were in touch, but there were periods of time where we would reconnect. She was a writer, so she started writing this. She was working on writing this book, and she would send me pages of what she's written, and I would, like, eat it up. It was such an interesting story. And, um, you know, she would be like, I hope you're writing. I hope you're writing, because she knew that I liked to write, too, and I kind of have a interesting relationship with writing. I try to do it more consistently, but at that time... It was very seldom. So she was like, I hope you're writing. I'm waiting for you to send me stuff. And um, she would send me what she was writing. And yeah, she passed. And I wrote a letter to her after she passed, you know, kind of getting my um, thoughts and emotions out. And um, I still think about her often, often often yeah grief grief is tough no matter how deep the relationship was like I said like we weren't even in contact all the time I would say I probably talked I probably talked to her once or twice a year maybe but it was just one of those things where like she There was a line in the letter that I wrote to her that said that, you know, we don't think about, we don't think about death and grief until, you know, 
we wake up and we realize the people that we expect to wake up with us didn't, didn't wake up. I, I don't remember how exactly I wrote it, but I said something like, we don't, we don't think about this every day, but one of the things that keeps us going is knowing that the people that we love woke up with us. And that day when I heard that she died, I realized she did not wake up with me. So, yeah, it, it, it's not easy. It's not easy. I can't even imagine, you know, what that process was and is still for her family, for her siblings. I went to her funeral. I saw her be laid to rest. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying not to, (laughs) I'm trying not to let it overwhelm me right now. But um, yeah, so let me segue back to the book. Ultimately, it was interesting to read about her process early on, because it's not something that, you know, you do for a time and it just stops. She wrote about her process early on. And how like, she just thought she had more time with her dad. She had this plan to sit down with him over an extended period of time and and have him tell her stories from his childhood and just record any and everything he remembered, you know, for archiving sake. And I think there was one of the more one of the last trips to Nigeria or in the US, I think it was Nigeria though, that she took and he was like, Chimamanda, what about, you know, let's sit down and, and record these these conversations. And she was like, Daddy, Daddy, next time, we'll do it next time. But now there won't be a next time. So, you know, I think about that and I think about how we do sometimes take for granted the time we have with the people that we love. And it reminded me of my resolution to document more of my life and more of my loved ones, you know, in terms of taking pictures and shooting video when when appropriate, you know, and just making sure that we have moments archived when we're no longer able to talk to them in the way that we can now. So that really touched me, you know, and I can't imagine what she is feeling and what she has been feeling about thinking she had all the time in the world or maybe not all the time in the world, but that she still had time. She talks about how, you know, he was in his 80s, but he was a young 80, that they thought that he at least had maybe, maybe five to 10 years left, you know. But he had been ill, but it had been managed. And they just did not anticipate him taking such a turn for the worse so quickly. So you really don't know how much time you have. You think you have all the time in the world, but do you? Do you really? Do you really know how much time you have? No, you don't. So that was something that 
I took away from the book. I also, you know, I think I'm actually just going to read the quote. Um, She talks about how she did not know how much laughter was involved in the grieving process. It is on page nine. She writes, another revelation, how much laughter is a part of grief. Laughter is tightly braided into our family Argo. And now we laugh remembering my father, but somewhere in the background, there is a haze of disbelief. The laughter trails off. The laughter becomes tears and becomes sadness and becomes rage. I am unprepared for my wretched, roaring rage. In the face of this inferno that is sorrow, I am callow and unformed. But how can it be that in the morning he is joking and talking and at night he is gone forever? It was so fast, too fast. It was not supposed to happen like this, not like a malicious surprise, not during a pandemic that has shut down the world. Throughout the lockdown, my father and I talked about how strange it all was, how scary, and he told me often not to worry about my doctor husband. You actually drink warm water, daddy, I asked one day, surprised, laughing at him after he said with sheepish humor that he'd read somewhere that drinking warm water might prevent coronavirus. He laughed at himself and told me warm water was harmless after all. It was not like the nonsense that went around during the Ebola scare when people were bathing in saline before dawn. To my, how are you, daddy? He would always respond, I have no problems at all. I'm perfectly fine. And he really was until he wasn't. So, yeah, so many, just within that passage, she hits on so many emotions. She hits on laughter. She hits on rage. She hits on sadness. And I think that is, that's, that, that can be parallel to just how quickly the emotions within grief can hit you. You can feel sad one moment and then you remember a happy memory and then you start to laugh and then you get mad because you can't experience something like that with that person again. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't even pretend to understand what that is like. Because, like I said, you know, I have had people in my life pass. Um, I think the one that was most impactful was my friend who I mentioned um, died two years ago. But I am yet to really experience it in a way to where it completely shifts how I see myself as a human being. And when I think about the people that would do that to me, you know, I'm thinking of my mother, I'm thinking of my husband, I'm thinking of my in-laws, I'm thinking of my siblings. Like, I I need to move on. Just even thinking about that, I, um, I start to, I start to get a little emotional. So I'm just, you know, in, in recounting what she went through and what she shares in the book, I'm thinking who could who could bring this out of me and it is those people and you know I I worry sometimes I try not to 
because that can take away from the time you have with them now. But I do think about what is, how, how could I possibly deal, you know, when that time comes and inevitably life will go on and I will find a way, but I'm not looking forward to that time. Really, truly, I'm not. And I've heard of this saying recently that honestly, I didn't quite understand, but I think I'm starting to get it more now that what is grief if not love persevering? And ultimately, from what I take from that saying is that grief is just the love that you have for that person pushing through, pushing forward, because their physical being is no longer here, but that doesn't mean the love is lost. You know, it doesn't mean that you no longer feel them. It doesn't mean the memories are gone. It doesn't mean how they impacted you is irrelevant. All those things are very much real and tangible, sometimes even more so when they're no longer here. So I'm getting a deeper understanding of that saying because I'm thinking about the people that it would be relevant to in my life. And I'm just like, there's no way that love would just stop when they're gone. It would be harder, though, because where do I put that love? You know, where does it go? Where does it go? It's probably going to have to go through a transformation of sorts. I don't know. This is very hard, but sometimes I think about Sometimes what helps me though, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, I think about this sometimes, especially when it comes to like my siblings and, and you know, my immediate family. I'm like, I think I'm gonna, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to bear the idea of them being gone, you know, because of its permanence. I think I'm gonna have to like reframe it in my mind as, a change in the relationship, you know, because I, I'm going to believe that they're still with me. I'm still going to talk to them. You know, I might not hear their voice audibly, um, but I'm still going to talk to them. I'm still going <laughs> to, I'm still going to, you know, think about what they would, you know, advise me to do if they were in the physical space, especially when it comes to my mom. You know, I, I think about how, you know, I'm not even going to think, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to think about it, it being her dying. You know, it's going to be when our relationship transitions to the other realm, I guess. I don't know. It's hard. Grief is hard. Grief is hard to talk about. It's hard to explain. Um, no matter how much you think about it, no matter, no matter how much you feel like you have prepared yourself, there's, I don't think there's any way to really prepare. And I think that's part of what scares me, you know, but um, there's another, there's another thing I heard recently too, about how when, if you live long enough, you're going to experience grief, you know, over the centuries, you know, over the decades, People have just started living longer. So you live long enough until your 70s, your 80s, your 90s. 
you're going to experience grief. And it's not something, I feel like it's almost, I feel like in some ways it's taboo. In almost, in some ways it's almost shunned, you know, in talking about it. People express their condolences, but it makes folks really uncomfortable to kind of sit in those feelings with the person who might be going through it. And um, we we want to move past it as quickly as possible. But, you know, the people dealing with it don't have that luxury. And that's one thing that I learned from her book, too, that people dealing with the loss of loved ones don't want to stop talking about them, you know? I think the way to go with that is just to just to see where their mind is in that moment. You know, ask them, do you want to talk about do you want to talk about your sister who passed or do you want to talk about your grandfather or your cousin, whoever it may be, whoever your best friend, like whoever was near and dear to them that is no longer here. Like I think a lot of times when people die we don't want to press any buttons. We don't want them to keep crying. You know, it just brings up a lot of discomfort for us. But it's really not about us. It's about them. And um, kind of avoiding discussing the deceased. You know, I think it's it might make things harder for the people dealing with it because it might make them feel like they're being forgotten. But I think knowing that people are thinking about them and are reminiscing too and are laughing at the funny memories helps with the process as well. Another thing that I took from it, which, you know, I've been aware of too, just with working with my patients is grief has no timeline. It has no timeline. It feels like it does because of the society we live in you know we have a loved one who passes and you know we might take a day or two off work and then you know life doesn't stop bills don't stop work doesn't stop and then we feel as though we have to push through or push aside what we're feeling and move on and if you Tell people that you're still grieving after six months, after a year, after two years, after five years, after 10 years. It's almost like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you that you're still dealing with this? You know, I feel like it's socially acceptable to be grieving a loved one for like a year. And then in my mind, I could be wrong. But from what I have seen what I have kind of noticed is that people will give you leeway for like a year. Doesn't mean you're going to be off of work for a year, but you know, if you're not really yourself for that period of time, people will give you a pass. But after that, it, it gets a little bit harder for people to um, understand why you're still, you know, struggling the way you are you know they may not say it out loud but their actions might be like oh you know it's been a year like isn't it time to kind of move forward and um I think that's very insensitive I think that is a luxury of 
I think it's a luxury to be able to say that if, you know, you haven't been through grief in that way. And I get patients often who are grieving a loved one and it's been a year, it's been two years and they feel almost embarrassed or silly that they're still in this. And I have to I have to ground them in saying that there is no timeline for grief. Your environment may make you feel like something is wrong with you, that you're still going through these emotions. But I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with you. And you're going to be going through it for however long you're going through it. Because the immediate event of the passing is just one part of it. You have that whole first year is gut-wrenching. You know, you have the one-year anniversary. You have the birthday of the person who have passed. You have the holidays of which you used to see that person and they're longer. They're no longer there. And then you have, if they had kids, you see the kids grow up and you see the birthdays that are coming and going and that person is not there. You see the life milestones, you know, if they get married, if they have their own kids, if they're graduating and you're constantly reminded that the person who has gone is not witnessing all this in the physical realm. And that all contributes to the cycle of grief and the process of grief. And kind of framing it in that way, grief can be lifelong. And it often is. You know, it's not just six months. It's not just a year. It can be lifelong, depending on how just intertwined your life was with that person and just how much they impacted you on a day-to-day basis. It may never end. You ultimately just figure out a way to keep going. And um, I guess I'll end the episode on this note. I saw an image which was really helpful in kind of seeing how grieve how the grieving process works and um you know just in general it was an image of like a circle with a little it was a it was a small circle think of like an a 1 inch circle with like a little dot or think of it as like maybe like a 1 inch circle inside like a 6 inch circle if you can imagine that and that that's that's grief when um you know it it is first happening and then ultimately as you're moving through the process the bigger the bigger circle just gets bigger you know the the weight of the grief in your body the weight of the grief emotionally does not does not change or morph really in any way what changes is your capacity to manage the grief through your day-to-day life as time goes on and I think ultimately that is what we can hope for you know especially if the person that has passed is was near and dear to you you know especially if it was that type of person who you really could not imagine being without and now your whole perspective of the world just shifts. I think that is a good way of kind of approaching the concept of grief. You know, that weight 
doesn't really go away. I don't know. I, I, I don't know personally, you know, in this way. I have come close to knowing, but not, not like this. But I, I liked that explanation. The fact that, you know, the weight of grief doesn't necessarily get easier to carry. You just, you just get stronger, you know, and you slowly start to manage it as you move through life. So, um, I've also heard it being akin to building muscle, you know, when you first pick up that weight, you know, you're almost knocked over because of how heavy it is. But over time, the weight does not get lighter, you just get stronger. So it's not that the grief doesn't get heavier. It's not that the grief is not still heavy. It's just that you have learned how to live with it. So I know this is a really sad episode, but I think it's a conversation we need to have more. Truly, truly. We don't talk enough about how to handle grief. We don't talk enough about what it's like for people going through grief. We don't talk enough about having tools to support those going through grief and how we can help ourselves and what to do. I only learned a year or two ago that there's such a thing as a death doula. You know how they have like postpartum doulas for the transition into parenthood. They have death doulas for the transition of the people who are mourning the loss of life. So I'm really glad there's such a thing out there. I don't know if I will ever need the support of one, but I think, I think it's, I think it's great that it exists. And I think it's really important because death is essentially a part of life. And um, the more information and tools we have and the more we're equipped to handle it, Um, the better off we'll be. So, uh, like I said, this is a sad episode, but it is a conversation worth having. And um, with that, I thank you guys for listening as always. Feel free to reach out to me. Email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, btbwpodcast at gmail.com. Or reach out to me via social media with my information in the description box. Please rate, please review if it has impacted you in a positive way. Feel free to go back in my catalog. We are approaching, if this is not the 30th episode, we are approaching the 30th episode, which is wild, wild. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I couldn't even fathom 30 episodes when I was starting this. Oh, man. Yeah. Thank you guys. As always, I appreciate you all. I love you all. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.